Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. Every aspect of that area was just beautiful. Um, the city, Verona, is like, it's like a fairy tale city. It has this beautiful river, the Adige running through it with castles and little cobblestone streets and beautiful bridges. And But the highlight of the whole city was the branch there. These people were so extraordinary. They were the most united, Christ-like people. They were like angels. Welcome back. It's Jordan, and I'm joined with Robin and Kathy. Robin and Kathy are companions, and they both served in, what was the name of your mission? The Italy-Milano mission. Kathy, let's start with you. You're, you're a convert to the, of the church. Could you tell us kind of your conversion story? Sure. Um, I was attending the U of A. I was a sophomore there. I had a roommate who was taking the discussions, and so I started asking her questions about where she was going and what she was doing, and She told me a little bit, but she decided she wasn't comfortable in telling me and that I should meet the missionaries. They could actually give me more information. And I said, okay, fine. So um, she made an appointment for me to meet with the missionaries. And I had a thousand and one questions and I wanted (laughs) all of them answered right then and there. And they slowed me down and told me I'd have to take time and I'd have to come back and go through it, you know, slowly. And I said, well, okay, we'll see. So I did start with them um, and continued with them, even though she did not. (laughs) But I was very much interested in religion. I had always had been, I had been trying to study the Bible on my own because I wanted to know more about it, realizing the church I had belonged to did not practice what the Bible preached and I was hurt and disappointed. And so I, I was looking for something that responded more to what I consider pure Christianity. And uh, so I, I went through, I remember starting in August and I, it was probably October before I joined the church. I went through several missionaries as they were being transferred. And the one that ended up baptizing me had just come back to Arizona from Ireland because he had gotten sick and that's where they sent the sick missionaries was Arizona. (laughs) And I remember him sitting there and looking down and I was like, what is wrong with him? Is he going to actually talk to me or tell me anything? And so I just ignored him. The other missionary had always been polite and nice. And, um, they were talking to me about Alma chapter 32 And that really pierced my heart. I was so impressed and touched by what they were saying. And I remember the one missionary was pretty much convinced I had felt the spirit. And I would have to say that was my first experience of feeling the spirit. And I kept thinking, wow, what a beautiful verse. What a beautiful way to learn the gospel. And so um, the next time when I met with these two missionaries, um, they decided to ask me if I wanted to be baptized. And 
I said no. <laughs> I guess I was pretty obnoxious and ornery, and I didn't have all my questions answered. <clears throat> but um, they had me meet with a family home evening group that evening, um, and there was a girl from my floor in the dorm who um, was a member, and she was talking to me about her life and how it had grown and changed uh, with joining the church and everything. And I was really impressed with everything that she said. And I remember going home and reading the Book of Mormon that the missionaries had asked me to read at that time. And I was just so overwhelmed with everything she had said, everything I had heard from the missionaries. I actually called them and said, I want to be baptized and the one elder dropped the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best up. call you can get. <laughs> Couldn't actually talk to me hardly. And I said, please, I want to be baptized. And uh, <clears throat> and um, I was able to get greater understanding. I remember there were some issues that they had not covered yet. And it took me a while to understand, but I did. And I decided I had already received a testimony and I needed to follow through with that, whether I understood everything else or not. And so then I w ended up getting baptized and never been more grateful than that. Wow. And Robin, you had a, a, a unique experience in that you were baptized at eight years old, but you had kind of a different journey to the church. Would you mind sharing uh, kind of how you developed your testimony of the restored gospel? Sure. So my parents got divorced when I was quite little. I was about three and um, we, my mom and my older brother and I lived with some extended family for a few years. And during that time, we went to a lot of different churches, which I remember very well, especially around the age of five and six. And then my mom got remarried and, um, she was a member of the church and my, my new father, my stepdad, he was baptized into the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, we moved to California and that's when I began going to church on a regular basis, um, primary Sunday school sacrament meeting. And I was seven years old and, um, Back then we had primary like on Tuesday afternoons after school and our teacher, Carol McLaughlin was teaching us about the restoration of the gospel. And I remember first of all, thinking that there was something very special about this church and it was just different than any other one that I'd ever attended. Um, even though the other experiences were good ones. I remember singing you know, Bible songs in the Baptist church. And, um, but there was just something so very distinct and different. And that was the Holy ghost I was feeling. And when our teacher taught us about the restoration of the gospel, um, about the prophet Joseph Smith and how, uh, through him, our heavenly father restored his, his gospel to back to the earth. It just pierced my soul. And even as a little seven-year-old girl, I knew it was true. And I feel fortunate to be able to have a testimony like that at an early age. Yeah, that, that's way early. It sounds like both of you had kind of like Joseph Smith, the looking for the truth and recognizing it. I, I remember too, when I first walked into the Tucson LDS Institute of Religion, there were all these people and I 
saw that they had something. There was something about them, and I didn't know what it was, but I knew that that I wanted it. And I later learned it was the influence of the Holy Ghost that was emanating through all of them. And once I received the Holy Ghost, I understood what it was, and it was very, very fascinating to me. And then I could see all these people with it at different times in my life. And I, and also when we would get ready to teach someone, you could almost tell you can see whether the light that of Christ in their eyes and the person the, the, right yeah. was going to see it and recognize it. So you both had early experiences with the Holy Ghost. How did that influence you to go on a mission? I I knew it was the right thing to do. I had felt ever since I joined the church that I needed to do something to return my gratitude to the missionaries who had taught me. And the one way I thought I could actually do that was to serve a mission myself. And I probably had been a member about six years when I decided to this. Um, I didn't have the funds or way or means of doing it prior to that. I actually retired from my job to pay for the mission so that I could you know, not rely on my parents to provide it since they weren't necessarily in agreement. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like every step I took was the right decision. And I remember the bishop being so excited that I was going to be his first missionary. <laughs> <clears throat> How about you, Robin? What, what made you want to go on a mission? Oh my goodness. I have always known I was going to serve a mission. Wow. I know that sounds unusual. Um, I just remember I thinking I, it's something I've always wanted to do since I was in elementary school. And um, a lot of people would say, oh, Robin, you, you, you'll get married. You were telling people then. <laughs> oh, I knew. <laughs> I knew I was going on a mission. My parents didn't necessarily want me to go. I remember um, your mom saying something like all the good men would yes, die. She did. <laughs> she would said, die? Is that what all said? the good men would be gone. Oh, yeah, she gone. said, Robin, all the cute boys, will, they'll be yeah. long gone by the time you get home. <laughs> but my dad especially didn't want me to go. He was afraid of like personal harm coming to me, sure. like being out in the world. And what made matters worse was a member of our ward who was a few years older than me. Uh, her name was Jeannie Music. She had just returned from the Rome mission And this was before I opened my call and my parents said, how was it Jeannie? And she said, oh, it was wonderful. Except the men down there, they, they kind of pinch your derriere once in a while. And yeah. And so when I got my call to Italy, that's that's probably the first thing my dad thought about. (laughs) (laughs) They were very, my dad really was upset and didn't speak to me for a few days. Wow. That is crazy. <laughs> so Kathy, can you tell us kind of your experience opening your mission call and what your thoughts were? Well, when I got the envelope, I kept saying, thinking, I didn't order anything from the church. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't dawn on me that that was my mission call. And I finally opened it and I was reading it and I kind of went into shock. I said, Italy? Wow, I've actually been in Italy. So I know a little bit You've been bit to about Italy it. before your mission? Yeah, my father was in the army. And so we had lived around the world and coming between coming back to the United States from Turkey, we decided to stop in Rome and spend a couple of weeks there, view all the sites that we could. We stayed in a convent. And um, so I was familiar somewhat with Italy. And so I was kind of surprised. I was 
Oh, a surprise number one, I was going to have to speak the language. <laughs> number two, that I had actually been there. And number three, that I just didn't know if I could do it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, um, and she's right about the derriere, but that's not <laughs> exclusive to Italy. Um, other places I lived, that was the same thing. But I think because I was already familiar with those aspects, I knew how to avoid it. But <clears throat> anyway, um, I remember being really excited. And the first thing I did was run down to the LDS Institute because I knew other people were getting their calls. And uh, some friends were going to Taiwan and this other guy was going to somewhere in Mexico and we were all going, man, we're all going to be at the MTC together and we're all departing to different parts of the world. So it was pretty exciting. And then I thought, oh man, there's a lot I got to do to get ready because I have to get out of my apartment, um, put my stuff in storage and get my parents to understand that this was really going to happen. <laughs> and I was going to be gone from them for a year and a half. Yeah, that's a long time. So jumping back, Robin, you got your mission call. Your father wasn't too pleased. What were your thoughts though, towards, towards your mission call? Oh my goodness. I was on cloud nine. I, I honestly can't comprehend how people wait to open their mission calls. You hear stories of people, oh, I'm waiting till my brother gets back in town for two weeks. I opened the mailbox. It was on my birthday, um, December 12th of 1982. And when, as soon as I saw that big envelope with the church's logo on the corner, the adrenaline just poured through my body and I ripped it open so fast, I sprained my thumb on the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> and I went running in the house and I said, I'm, I'm going to Italy. And I didn't open it with my family. I was just too excited. And that's when my father was really upset. And my mom was, oh, that's, that's really exciting, Robin. But... I had had eight years of Spanish in school, and the first thing I did was run to the bookstore and buy an Italian dictionary, a little phrase book. That, and I just remember thinking how close it was to Spanish, yeah, a lot of the, the Latin verbs. Mm -hmm. And just, I, I studied and studied. I, I loved it. So you guys get your mission calls and you're going to the MTC. What was your biggest concerns going out on your missions? Um. <clears throat> I think my biggest concern was, will I ever really learn this language and be able to speak it and communicate with others? Um, the MTC was a wonderful experience. It was very spiritual. There was always things to attend, to learn about and be a part of. The classes were fun. We had fun teachers. They uh, did fun things with us. Sometimes they'd smack us when we were way off, which was all right. <clears throat> One time when we were there, um, a whole group of people came over from Italy. And I remember sitting there and listening to them talk. And I said, this is not the language we learned. I am so shocked. What am <laughs> I going to do? You can't see it right now, but Robin is smiling and laughing quietly I'm to sure. herself. <laughs> but I remember this one sister, <clears throat> she was short. She had short red hair and she spoke with this low gravelly voice. And I kept thinking, I wish I could this understand This was an Italian, her. yeah. Yeah, and I couldn't. And lo and behold, of course, this was before I knew that Verona was going to be a part of my mission. I was still thinking I was just in the Milano mission. 
she was from Verona. I actually met her and became close friends with her in Verona. So it was so funny. And actually, she really talked well when I got there. <laughs> and she didn't have this gravelly voice I thought she had. <clears throat> in fact, we became really good friends because at that time, I was able to communicate very well. And I was confident in my speaking. And so we could carry on regular everyday conversations. The same person that you saw in the MTC, right, you right. met up the, again. The person that I thought I would never be able to understand. And how come she talks that way? But no, it was a wonderful experience. I was so grateful for that. And she even remembers seeing me in the MTC looking really scared. Like deer in the headlights. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Robin, what about you? What was special about the MTC for you? Oh my goodness. I, everyone says this, I think it's a universal thing, but you can feel the spirit of the MTC. The minute you walk into the door, it, it is just breathtaking. And I was just, I was just so happy there. Um, and you mentioned earlier, Jordan, about just being yourself. We, we studied hard, um, but we also had a lot of fun. And, um, we played pranks on each other. <laughs> Sometimes when we were in the cafeteria, someone would take a bite out of someone's food and switch plates or something like that. But we had a lot of fun, but it, it was very, it was a very sacred place. You could tell where the spirit abounded. Now, did, the, did the elders in your district sing all the time to the women in the cafeteria? Yes. They did that in ours too. I think my district started with that and I have wondered if it had carried on. And they would, you know, try and do a hymn that we had learned that was in Italian. But other than that, they would just sing silly songs. And I just would be embarrassed that these little boy elders were doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to the elders. And they would sing at our windows too. Right. And serenade us. <laughs> so after a couple of flights and maybe a bus or a car ride or two, you, you arrive in a foreign country, everyone's speaking a foreign language. Uh, and Kathy, in what ways did the Lord support you in serving? Well, that was interesting. I was sick on the flight all the way over, and I don't know why. I'm normally not that way. I had done this particular flight before, but I was really sick. And when I started hearing all this foreign noise and foreign cars and everything, I was like, I can't do this. But then I thought, I was so sick on that flight. There's no way I'm getting back on the airplane. So I'm just going to have to do it. And I would dream about coming home from my mission, but then I would stop and say, no, you can't go home. You don't know anything yet. You didn't learn anything yet. You haven't had the experience yet. So you're going to have to stay here and figure it out and play it day by day and see what you can learn. And I remember the first time my companion trying to make me speak, I was so embarrassed. I said, I'm going to make a fool of myself, which I did. But she just laughed and so did the members. <laughs> so, you know, they said, oh, she's new. And I could recognize that that's what they were saying. And I said, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to get better. I'm going to not sound new. And um, it probably took two months <laughs> Um, because I remember I, we were sitting in the backyard and all of a sudden I could understand, I could hear, I could speak. I knew what people were saying. It was like, it came over me suddenly. And I remember going, Oh, thank you, heavenly father. It's about time. <laughs> and I remember 
being so grateful that this was going to work, that they knew what they were doing when they taught us this language and that I was going to be able to learn it and be a benefit to the church with my ability. That's awesome. Robin, how about you? Were there any words that you might've stumbled with in, in trying to learn Italian? Oh, of course. Oh my goodness. As Kathy mentioned though, if you don't put yourself out there and just jump right in and speak as well as you can, you know, when you first get there, I think you can obviously speak better than understand because you can control what you're saying, but you can't control the speed at which other people are speaking. But I remember in my first city in Torino, um, they had a French sounding dialect because it was so close to the French border. And I, I just remember thinking, what in the world? This isn't what we learned in the MTC. In fact, they <laughs> this used sound like, like a different language. Mademoiselle instead of signora. Oh. And I was like, that's French. I know this one. <laughs> Torino was my second city. <laughs> yeah, we had it. That's another thing we had in common. But um, when you speak conventional Italian to them, they respond back. They're so polite. But it does take a little while understand. And then it clicks. Like Kathy said, it just clicks. And it is such an awesome feeling to think at least now I can converse and understand freely. What, what advice would you give to a missionary that is in maybe like Kathy's first two months, or maybe it's taking them longer to, to, you know, be able to understand and communicate. Like what, what would you just say to someone that hasn't quite hit that moment yet? I would say patience and know that it will come. The Lord will bless you, especially if you're making all the efforts to do it, the effort to listen, the effort to practice, the effort. We did practice with our companions all the time. It was very rare if we spoke any other language other than Italian. Um, If it was necessary, then English did come out. But other than that, we would always practice the language and those things were important. It was important also to study it as we were working on it because, you know, you never know what's going to come across. And we actually came across a member in Torino that could not conjugate the verbs. And we had to give him our English verb conjugation book for him to learn how to do it in Italian because he had not learned. And that was really a great experience. A lot of practice, a lot of patience. Rob, anything to add to that? Um, I couldn't agree more, Kathy. I think the key is just obeying the rules and speaking it all the time. You just completely immerse yourself, even in your prayers. Mm-hmm. You pray in Italian. Um, I did make the mistake of writing in my journal in Italian, thinking that I would always know, you know, and they say, they, they discourage that for your posterity. So I might have to mm-hmm. retranslate some things. Interesting. But, um, yeah, just immersing yourself and having great patient companions, like Kathy said, was such a blessing just who just, you know, helped and didn't criticize, just encouraged. Yeah. Don't be afraid to Mm -hmm. to fail. It sounds like. Right. So like Italy, I think we've all seen pictures and it's, it's a beautiful place and there's so much history. It's so rich, but how would you describe Italians to someone? Like what's kind of common among Italians? Well, before I left for the mission field, I pictured Italians basically um, darker hair, olive skin. They say, mamma mia. They use their hands in tremendous gestures. (laughs) And after going there, um, 
I found out it's all true. (laughs) (laughs) She's definitely right. (laughs) They're beautiful people, beautiful. Um, I think everything about them, just their language, they're They're very gracious, and uh, they're very welcoming to new people. Most of the Italians had to learn English and growing up. So a lot of them spoke a lot of English, and so that would sometimes help us out. But we still always tried to speak Italian, and uh, each city had its own dialect. And like she said, Torino was French, uh, Verona was Spanish, Gracia was more Germanic, and um, Modena was kind of somewhere in between Spanish and regular Italian. So we adjusted our dialects ourselves by listening to the members so that we could be more functional in each area. So in kind of taking a step further into your missions, in what ways did your relationship with the Savior grow on your mission? Um, there were, every day was a learning opportunity. Every day I learned to rely upon the Savior and anything he had for me or wanted me to do. I personally had never felt closer to the Savior. Um, teaching about him full time. And um, I think the greatest miracle is just seeing the transformation come over others as they also gain that testimony of the divinity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you just watch unfolding before your eyes this miraculous light that we talked about coming into people's lives. And you can witness it in their countenances, as we mentioned before, and just seeing them change for the better. And it's a joy that it's indescribable because you remember just a few months prior, what their life was like. And now they're entering the waters of baptism and you've seen them give up old bad habits and just um, commit to keeping the commandments. And um, It's beautiful seeing that change in their eyes and their countenance. And the happiness. You can see the happiness and the joy. Right. It seems like, and I've said it before on another podcast, but it seems like going on a mission is the opportunity to witness miracles. Most definitely. I I always felt like every day there was some kind of miracle that happened. Even if we were studying the scriptures that morning, when we went out that day, something about the very scriptures we had just studied became a part of our daily usage or conversation with people. And to me, that was a fascinating and wonderful miracle. It was like, I almost couldn't see, wait to see what was going to come next (laughs) or the next day. And, um, carrying the spirit that you carry as a missionary was very fascinating. It was a drawing power. People were drawn to you, um, as you were giving them the opportunity to learn the gospel And that was exciting, too, because then you met with a lot of people who really were searching, and it was nice to be that instrument for them to come in contact with. Um, Miracles happened every time. Anytime someone was being baptized or wanted to join the church or even asked about the church was a beautiful miracle. And, of course, we were so excited to share all that information with them and help them on their search. It's amazing because, as Kathy mentioned, you have so many experiences every day. 
it's like a lifetime of spiritual experiences condensed into the 18 months anyway that the sisters served. Yeah. It's, it's hard to explain, but. And I, and I love that you talked about there's daily miracles because there's times missions are hard. And I think sometimes we, we forget talking about those and we don't want to focus on the hard things, but if you focus on the miracles, then it just becomes a beautiful experience. And like all the hard things you, you just shrug off and like, they don't matter and whatever. Like you're, you're witnessing people change their lives and it's a beautiful privilege. So talking more about your companionship, what area did you two serve together in? We were in Verona. And what, here we go. What were the first moments like when you became companions? I just remember Robin sitting on the bed because I had to come into. You the, transferred into. I the transferred into Verona. She was already there. Her companion had left. Sometimes the companions would meet you at the train station, but she didn't. And I didn't know why. And that was okay. But I just remember her sitting there. And she looked afraid and I was concerned about her looking afraid. And maybe she was scared of me, which she had every right to be. No, absolutely not. (laughs) But, um, you know, she was wonderful. She opened right up on everything that we needed to do and needed to accomplish and who people were. And when we got to the first Sunday that we got to church and she would help introduce me to people. And so we got to know them and I just felt really good that this was going to be a wonderful companionship. And I was grateful for this opportunity. How about you, Robin? Were there, um, there's some things that you smiled and some things that you, yeah. <laughs> um, Kathy spoke amazing. Um, as you can tell from this discussion, Kathy is just such a warm, friendly person and she is just loving and caring and you can set, I could sense that right away. And I knew that it was going to be an amazing companionship and the entire experience, even the city itself, every aspect of that area was just beautiful. Um, the city Verona is like, it's like a fairy tale city. It has this beautiful river, the Adige running through it with castles and little cobblestone streets and beautiful bridges and but the highlight of the whole city was the branch there. These people were so extraordinary. They were the most united, Christ-like people. And um, they also, we talked about what an amazing choir they had too. It was like, they were like angels. We and, even had nicknamed them the Mormon Tabernacle Choir of Verona. <laughs> and, uh, and they were so strong. I learned something from them every day and how strong they put in the principles of the gospel right away, right when they were being told. Whereas I think before I'd sit back and let me think about it. (laughs) It sounds like these people, their testimonies were, you know, as beautiful or more beautiful than the city. What, what made them, what, what did they do that made them different from other branches that you'd served around? Well, for one thing, if we ever brought an investigator to the branch, Everybody shook their hands. They embraced them. They let them know how welcome they were and how happy they were to have them among them in that branch. And so it made us so excited to bring people because we knew the reception that they would yeah. receive yeah, when, that's they, huge as a when they interacted with those people. So what, what advice would way. you give to two sisters being united? Because you obviously had a good companionship. What, what things could they do to, to you know, have a strong companionship? Well, 
Before I left in the mission field, my goal was to make every companion like my best friend. If I would focus on the things that we had in common. And um, I felt that was so important because if you didn't have that genuine love for one another, then how would you have the spirit of the Lord with you as you went out as a team to go teach the gospel? Mm. But I, I was fortunate. I told Kathy, I would pick everyone for a best friend. In Verona, how would you, what, what were some moments that you were guided by the spirit to, to reach out to certain people? Well, I'm going to introduce this one because this was by far. Rob, away, Robin probably. has this beautiful scrapbook of old <laughs> pictures. I'm so glad that she documented well for her mission. But it was one of the greatest miracles that, and I'm so grateful that we had this one together. Um, this was the month of August and in Italy, everybody goes on vacation, rich, poor, they all find a place to go. It's called Ferro de Agosto and it's, it's very hard to track at that time because everyone's gone. So a lot of people just do street contacting or just any way they can, you know, stores to, are closed. Yeah. Stores are <laughs> closed. It's true. Everyone's it's, on holiday. Yeah, yeah. It's like ghost town. And, um, one morning after we had companion prayer, Kathy said, I have this feeling and we were on bicycles. I mean, can you imagine how wonderful, uh, it was just so she said, I think we should ride out to these apartment buildings way, way out. And she pointed on the map to the periphery of the city is kind of on the outskirts. And I thought, wow, that's why not? You know, she felt very prompted to do so. And we started knocking on apartment doors. Via Tunisia, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I remember that day feeling we needed to go here and be here and even though they were more modern apartments, I said, it doesn't mean somebody's not going to be there. And uh, it was a, a very interesting feeling when Lorella opened the door. I don't know. I think we may have just looked at each other going, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I think initially she thought we were representatives from another church. Right. And um, I think she was a little bit hesitant at first about us coming in, but then she invited us in and had us meet her father and mother. And then we started talking with her and, uh, they decided then to let us come back. And at that point, then, um, that included her uncle, which was her mother's brother. And he was really interested. I thought we were going to get him to join the church actually. And, uh, yeah, he came to church, Luciano. Right. Yeah. What, what, what was it about that first visit with Lorella that made her curious or wanted, wanted to hear more? Um, she quietly listened, but she would also answer our questions. And when she would answer, yes, I believe that, or yes, what you're saying is true, or I feel that's true. Then that made her more stimulated in what we were talking about. Um, she told us a little bit about herself, that she was a model or had been working to be a model. And, um, you know, she, that was a whole invitation of other things. And I think she kind of felt uncomfortable about some of the situations she had been asked to deal with. And like I said, we also knew that she smoked because she had told us, and I think she even had them sitting out, but it wasn't frequent or often. But she just seemed 
in spite of her parents, because I don't believe her mother hardly said anything. Her father said some things, but I, I felt like they were listening and were interested in the things that we had to say. I felt very um, welcome in their home. Mm-hmm. They, they liked us. And, and the more that we taught about the gospel, they, it seemed to be very pleasing to them. And they, I think they were in agreement with just about everything we taught. But as Kathy said, Lorella's father was um, blind. Mm-hmm. He had uh, type one diabetes. And um, how old was Lorella? She's 17, 18 years old. I think she was, was younger she than me, but older than you. <laughs> was she a little older? Okay, I, I'm putting her at a younger age, but I think she was a maybe out of, just out of high school. Um, I thought she was maybe in her twenties, in her really early twenties. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, as Kathy mentioned, she she had a habit of smoking, and she she was responding really well to everything that we were teaching, and we just thought we need to get her over this. Yeah. You know, this one hurdle. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so Kathy had the idea of getting a little jar and putting candy in it. And we would write little daily inspirational thoughts and scriptures just to help her kick the habit of smoking, which turned out to be pretty successful. Because yeah, uh, it seemed like right away when we came back, she had either thrown it away or put it away, wasn't having any part of it anymore and was grateful for the jar to assist in putting her mind elsewhere. And, uh, she said, know, yeah, I'm so sorry. No, okay. I remember one time she said she, at one point she would just laughed because like we would misspell, at least I did. I misspelled like in, the in word Italian. Yes. Yeah. I actually wrote for cigarette. I wrote C I G A R E T T E. That's cigarette. They spell it with this S, cigarette. Anyway, anyway, some of our just our little mistakes. Yeah, our little faux pas made her laugh. Yeah. (laughs) So she enjoys learning about the gospel. It sounds kind of like, like Kathy, like there's a lot of things that she identified with already as you were teaching Um, her. I I felt she did. She was willing to read the scriptures right away, uh, which I can't always say was my case with other people. And that, that was kind of the mentality of the Italian people. They were used to priests and somebody else reading everything for them, so they didn't have to. But yet she was interested. She and her uncle both were very good about reading the scriptures. They even said, the uncle said one time that we had to use the Protestant Bible to make sure we were reading this correct stuff and not the Catholic Bible. And we did use the Protestant Bible while we were there. Because he was saying that the Catholic Bible would say something else and then it wouldn't be right. Mm. And, um, but, you know, whenever we gave Lorella an assignment, she read it right away. She came back with a response and an answer and, and often her feelings. And she, go ahead. I was just going to say she was a very genuine person. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And I'm, maybe I'm jumping, but she ended up being baptized. Right. Correct? She did. What was her baptismal service like? Is there anything that that you remember that stuck out to you? I remember being really excited. <laughs> um, I remember being grateful that she went ahead and decided to go ahead and be baptized because she had thought to wait a little bit for some other family members, but I knew I wasn't going to be there. 
um, I was going to be leaving soon and I wanted to make sure I got to see her get baptized. And I think she was excited too. I think she really, really felt the change she was making in her life. Um, especially when we had offered her the opportunity to be baptized. I remember her being so glad that we had asked that. And I was so grateful of her quick and positive response. What about you, Robin? It was, it was amazing. Um, we had also invited our mission president and his wife to attend. And, um, he, he let us know that he probably wouldn't make it. So that was a little disappointing, but actually on the day of her baptism, he and his wife, president Uvrard and sister Uvrard showed up and that was kind of like icing on the cake. And also one of the families there, the Goldsee family, Mm -hmm. um, had a son named Marco and he was just getting ready to leave on his mission to Rome. And so he is the one who performed her baptism, which united this this branch branch even more. It it was just like, that's perfect. An amazing evening. Such a huge blessing. It was, it was beautiful. And I remember he went around making sure he got everybody's address for when he was in the Rome mission. And, uh, I remember president Ward standing right there and I was like, should I give him my address? <laughs> <laughs> what a great experience though, for him so, to start his mission, missionary work with the baptism. Right. And right. And, and enjoy that spirit. It was amazing. And I think, and the story doesn't end there. Um, we went to see her just a few days later, you know, mm-hmm. just to check up on her and see uh-huh. how she was doing. And she had kind of a somber look on her face, didn't she, Kathy? When and we, we were when open, scared. When we <laughs> knocked on the door and she opened the door. Yeah, we thought, oh my word, what's happened? Did you talk to your priest? Or we, we were a little bit sure. nervous. And, and Kathy well, will tell then, what happened. Then she shows us these pictures of um, people and, and the Swiss temple. And I'm like, why is she showing that to us? And then she tells us all her relatives have joined already and they were, had come down to talk to her about the gospel. And this was like the day after she's baptized and we were just so excited. We just couldn't even believe it. And it was such a relief <laughs> that it wasn't what we thought it was, but Oh, it was so wonderful that she had that going on in her life. It, it was a miracle. As Kathy said, she, when these relatives, these cousins and aunts and uncles had come down from Switzerland, she wanted to tell them that she had joined the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She was just bursting at the seams, but she was a little afraid because they were so entrenched, you know, and it's, it's such a traditional thing with families. You say um, entrenched. I imagine you're talking about in, in the Catholic, in the Catholic church. church. Oh yes. It's even though they may not attend, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, a tradition. family tradition. It is yeah. absolutely. Okay. It's, it's part of their heritage. And so she was terrified, understandably, to tell her cl- close relatives that she had just broken away from that and had joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she said, finally, she just blurted it out. And they looked at her and she said, it was just tears down everyone's face because they said, Lorello, we have also just joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what an amazing reunion that must have been. Yeah, that's awesome to have family support like that where she didn't have it before. Exactly. So you served, we were mentioning the Catholic Church. You served in an area where 
the most ancient early Christians lived. Right. Were there any times that you saw evidence of the church then on your missions? Of the LDS church? Yeah, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ in the former days, I guess, instead of the latter days. the history of the church in Italy goes back to Lorenzo Snow going over there and um, praying in the Piedmont area where there was some Protestant-type members in Italy. And they wanted to open up the church at that point for um, the gospel. However, it wasn't until the 1960s when Pope John, somebody who was a real friendly Pope, (laughs) had opened it up for other religions to come and talk. And so we were basically still the first generations of missionaries there. And uh, so the closest evidence I would have seen would have been just the history of knowing Jesus and his story and what was going on in the Rome area as to why she could recognize that baptismal font that we saw. Tell us a little more because we didn't get it before we record. Tell us about this, this baptismal font that you saw. Well, um, as Kathy mentioned, I'm in the architecture, the buildings are just some of them are just thousands of years old. And we had a really neat experience of riding our bikes past this same street every day as we went out. And one day um, there were some construction workers there who were excavating. They were digging up the cobblestone street and they had un- they had uncovered a baptismal font, an original baptismal font. And the amazing thing is um, this past year, my husband and I, went to visit that branch and they left it intact. There's a, there's like a plexiglass barrier around it in the middle of the street, in the middle of the street. And they have never, it's just intact with, with the exposed font and right in the middle and the pedestrians just walk around it. It was, it was amazing. That's awesome. But we also had the amazing privilege of going down into the, it's the baptistry of the the Duomo's. And I have a picture here of a 12th century. You said the baptistry of the Duomos? The Duomo. Yeah. What's oh, the, which is a big Catholic The main cathedral. cathedral. Okay. Yeah, this picture is from the 12th century. Um, it's one of the early baptismal yeah, it fonts. it looks gorgeous. Now, are you the one that asked the priest about baptism? Was it you or was it Wendy when we were in the little group of three? It very well could have been. Or it was not Wendy. It was, what was the question um, that was? Nielsen, Sister Nielsen. Um, what, somebody, either you or Sister Nielsen, asked about baptisms, how and why they are performed. And the priest went right into the sprinkling thing. you know. And we're like, you know, why are the um, pictures showing otherwise that you should be that there wasn't immersed? A sp- there's more of a font. Is right, a human- right. And, size. and later the, the, the inset that had been added for the, to, sprinkling. To, for the sprinkling. Right. Interesting. And I remember one of those two asking and I was like, I'm not going to. That's a bold that. question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Robin's a bold person though. Well, these are, these were good, good sisters always very bold, very wonderful. So you, or, or go ahead. And uh, Jordan, you brought up just, um, signs of the earliest church yeah. in Christ day. Um, I think one of the neatest things too, was we went to Ravenna as a president and sister Uvar took us to Ravenna, oh. which is on the East coast. 
and they are famous there for the mosaics. They do the little intricate tile work. It, it is extraordinary. Like glass mosaics or, or more tile? Yeah, they're uh, both. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they depict biblical scenes and uh, from Christ's day and even earlier from the Old Testament, you know, even Abraham and um, in one cathedral that we visited, you could see mosaics of inside of the temple, which depict exactly the same, same scene inside our modern day temples. Wow. Which was extraordinary. And they had Il Sacerdotio di Melchizedek, which is the Melchizedek priesthood. Mm-hmm. And, and and these mosaics are hundreds of years old. Hundreds and hundreds. Oh, some of them date back to when Christ was on the earth. I didn't get to see those, but I remember the members talking about them. And I remember being so impressed. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful place to serve your missions. The, the new mission handbook has something it says you can learn more fully to love the people that you serve by taking sincere interest in their culture. What cultural experiences did you have that helped you understand and appreciate Italians more? It sounds like, you know, with, with the history of, of the church there and seeing those mosaics, was there anything else that you were able to do or maybe that your mission president that had to help you, you know? eat, <laughs> eat the food. It's such a huge part the family right. and, the, and, Gathering together at the table. Right, exactly. Such and all the different courses and the different ways that they have to be served. Like you get the fruit um, after everything else and before the final dessert. And There's, the there's an order and a oh, process. Yes, definitely to- an order. The pasta comes before the main dish. And, you know, you might originally think that that's the one and only dish, but oh no, there's plenty coming. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Every time we finished the fruit dish afterward, inevitably someone would say, an Italian would say, um, per aiutare nel dirigere, um, to help, this helps with the digestion. Right. Right. It's just tradition. That's just. Right. Yeah. The food is amazing though. I think it's the best in the world. We also have the opportunities on our P days to investigate the other places. Um, for example, in Torino, we went where the Shroud of Turin was. I don't know if you yes. got to do that. Okay. What's the Shroud of? Oh, okay, okay. This is a fabric that they think Christ was buried in off the cross and put into the tomb, and then they eventually got out. Um, the apostles of our church have said, yes, it is a shroud of a crucified man, but they did not say it was Christ. And it does look like a folded over piece of linen that got folded over somebody who was removed from a cross. And if you see some current things um, that are out in the community, uh, it can give you the sense of feeling that, oh, this is why they believe it was Christ. But there's no evidence to prove that it's Christ. They've gone over it with a fine tooth comb, with ink, paint, cameras, everything. Um but they do say it is a shroud of someone who was crucified. Um, we went to the Egyptian museum. We went into other cathedrals just for their no the notoriety and, yeah, and the, the artwork. History. And like she has a picture of Juliet from Romeo and Juliet, the balcony, and you can actually go in there and stand on the balcony. <laughs> there was usually people <laughs> playing, um, string instruments outside of the balcony. A lot of times if you went over, they would be 
from different places. Um, and that was kind of cool. I thought that made it neat. Um, it was just exciting to roam around and be a part of it all. I think she, she hit the um, nail on the head when she said food. That seems to be the biggest thing. That's, that's and, what gathered and that's, everyone together. Right. And that's one of the reasons why they're always so gracious, too. Even if you're just in there for a couple of minutes, they want to offer you something to eat or drink. They're very, very generous. And one interesting thing about the Italian culture is that they, because that time is so sacred, the pranzo is the main meal. That's their lunch right. between 12 and 2. And it's it's not kosher to knock on people's doors. So it, that, that was a little awkward as a missionary because... We, we would a, a family exactly. Tradition. So we we would either speak with people in public or just use that time to study mm -hmm. together. But um, it was a very sacred time that we respected as missionaries because it was so important in their culture that they had that family time. Yeah. But stores would close down sometimes, and wow, yeah, that's awesome. T tell us, you, you mentioned your your mission president, President Ovard. Ovard. <laughs> It's like Edward, but right. not. Can can you tell us a little more about maybe the influence that he and his wife had on you as missionaries? Oh, he was just, he was an intellectual giant, a spiritual giant, as was his wife. Um, they each spoke, I would think, about six or oh, seven languages. Language. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he, they're from Paris. They had both served missions in France. And he was over the um, seminary an institute department of the all of Europe. He was the director of all of Europe. And to hear him speak, it was just such a spiritual feast. Every time he was, he was a philosophy major. He was a very profound thinker. And some of the insights that he would pull from the scriptures were just very, um, they were beautiful. They're beautiful and very they made you really think, right? you know, maybe give a different paradigm of a scripture that you had read and maybe not had that insight before, but they, and, and they were young. Um, they hadn't been blessed with children. You know, that's one thing I remind, remind, <laughs> am reminded of since I was one of the older missionaries, they were close to my age and I was excited <laughs> yeah. about that. So, but, yeah. I think he was just a few years older yeah. than some of wow. the sisters that were serving right. there, he and his wife. Right. But they were just, oh, and they could sing and play the piano and at mission conferences, they would sing these operas. Remember the cat and the dog? The <laughs> and they would have the general authorities would ask for them to do the cat for them. And it was this French thing that they did. And where it's a he, French opera. Oh, or? yeah. He does the little twisty mustache of the male cat. She does the female cat on the piano chasing each other around. That's and what it was. The two cats. It was so they hilarious. taught us to sing. They taught us to sing in Italian, to mm -hmm. sing rounds and just practical things. Even how the order, the proper order to iron a shirt or you know, to do laundry and right, right. They would always check us up on those things, which was good. <laughs> they taught us a lot of pragmatic things that we needed in the mission field, but then they also just taught us so many spiritual truths and I'll forever feel so bonded to them. What I gleaned most from them was that they just loved, they, they had a genuine love and they taught us that 
in order for you to convey the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, that you also need to have that love for others. And I know that they had it with us, and they taught us through example. I, I have to agree with Robin. I very much always felt love, genuine love from them and love that they put out towards others. And I always felt that that was the way we were going to get anybody to listen, to um, participate, and to convert. And even to this day, I would say if I met them right now, I would feel all that love all over again. So when are you, are you in contact? Um, when our son Reed was 12, we, I went to a mission conference, uh, a mission reunion mm-hmm. during general conference time. And we saw President Uvrard there. And afterward, we were able to take him out to dinner, which was really nice. Just my husband and me and our son Reed. And I felt so spoiled to have him for the evening. They had a, just adopted two bo- two teenage boys. From India, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. And he and his wife are now serving as the directors of the Rome, Italy uh, temple. Temple and oh, wow. grounds, yeah. They were immediately called and I couldn't think of anyone else better to call. And that was so exciting to know. That, that. was exactly my thought too. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, I was going to tell you too, I, I got a letter from him after I got home and which I will cherish forever. But um, I was a young married, um, just, you know, we had just barely gotten married yeah. and, Kurt and I, we were living in Phoenix and he's just, he's, he's a genuine person. I mean, he, he just, you could tell he just cared and kept in contact as best he could with everybody. So reflecting back on your missions, what is something that you learned about yourself after the, the 18 months that you didn't know before? I think I learned I can do it, (laughs) um, that I have to use patience. I have to rely upon the Lord and uh, that everything is going to work out just as the Lord indicated it would. Um, I was grateful very much so for the opportunities that it gave me in so many ways. I remember how profound the gospel had become to me at that point. And I was thinking, hey, I've been to the Institute for six years. I know this stuff. I knew nothing. (laughs) And I just remember being so excited that each time we taught that something about the gospel became more profound, something about the savior became more profound, something about serving Christ was more profound. And it was just the most wonderful opportunity and feeling. I don't even know how to express it. I, I think it really changed my life. It opened me up. I was a pretty shy, quiet person, and I would hardly talk. Um, and came back from my mission. I was a different person. My, one of my friends didn't even recognize me. She goes, I didn't think you would talk. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a really good thing. And I had built a lot more confidence by being on the mission. And I think it was because I knew Christ was there on my side and it was about him and about our heavenly father and about the restoration of the gospel. It just builds you up completely. It swells in your heart, swells in your mind, and you can't help but let it out. (laughs) Absolutely. What about you, Robin? What was something you learned about yourself? Oh my goodness. Um, 
I learned to have more faith. Um, I, I learned that true happiness comes through serving other people. Um, I learned how to pray actually from listening to listening to people who had prayed vocally for the first time. I, I never got tired of that. Isn't that such it, an awesome experience? It is such an awesome experience because it, there are no trite phrases or there's no learned there. Yeah. There are no memorized thing, but there's nothing memorized. It is sincere. It is authentic. And it's just this, this opportunity to hear someone talk to God and it, it's special. Yeah, um, Inviting someone to pray out loud and vocalize the intentions of their heart and their, their soul um, just always took my breath away. And that really is how I learned how to pray to just to speak my feelings to heavenly father who knows us already. Another um, wonderful thing was just being able to declare truth um, through the Holy ghost. I remember there were, some women who had lost babies in infancy um, before they had a chance to become christened or sprinkled in the church um, that they were going to. And the preachers or the priests telling them that, that those babies' souls were, were going to be lost forever in purgatory. And I remember reading scriptures from the Book of Mormon and explaining how completely opposite that was, that that was that was a gross error and, um, not a true, not a true teaching. And one woman was just crying with tears running down her face. And she said, I never believed it. I never believed that. I always knew that my baby was going to be in heaven. Um, so I think just, um, being able, as, sister, as Kathy said, <laughs> Sorella, um, having that happiness of seeing other people have that light in their life the way you do. And you see miracles, literally. Mm -hmm. um, miracles do happen today because the church of Jesus Christ has been restored in its fullness. And um, I remember one companion who was just brand new we were in Genova. Um, this was Chris Tonini. She was Italian by heritage. And um, we came across this apartment building and lo and behold, there's a Tonini. You know, usually they have a little plaque in the apartment building. It says their last name by the doorbell. And we just looked at each other and she thought, oh my goodness, this could be one of my relatives. And she said, I'm scared because I'm brand new and I don't speak. And these people answered the door and it just blew me away at health, how well she spoke the language. It was the gift of tongues. You could mm -hmm. see it in action that the Holy Ghost was helping her. Bear talk testimony to, to, to relatives. Exactly. Correct. I saw so many things like that. It's like Kathy said, just every day, just so many little miracles like that. Robin, are there we're kind of wrapping up the, the interview, but again, this is, this is your mission. Is there any experiences that you want to share that, you know, for your kids or grandkids to, to know about you and your mission? You know, I think the main message I could convey to them is to just learn to recognize the promptings of the Holy ghost in your life and to follow through with them. 
Sometimes it seems counterintuitive to us, but our Heavenly Father, who can see, obviously, the bigger picture and who knows us better than we know ourselves and knows the grand scheme of everything on an eternal scale, um, He knows what's best for us. And so I would just say, listen to those promptings and follow through with them and you'll be able to see what the Lord had in store for you in the end. And it's always better than what you could have ever planned yourself. Absolutely. And it is hard sometimes. <laughs> it is hard. Yeah. We've, we've talked about so many positive things, but it is, it's an emotional roller coaster sometimes because you, you teach people and you know that they know that what you're teaching is true. But for some reason or another, sometimes it's, you know, um, they don't an, know. an ecclesiastical member of their church or that talks them out of it. And it's, it is an emotional roller coaster. And I, I have actually broken down in tears at a dinner table hearing news like that, because I know that they know, but you know, maybe it's just not the time for them, but maybe later. And I've had those experiences of finding out later, years later, that people, that, people that you have taught, even when they were in grammar school as a little child, that later on their family took the missionary lessons again and they joined the church and, and they've gone on to serve missions and they're now raising their family in the light of the gospel. And it's one of those. That's, that's so good to hear because I feel like some of, some of the lessons I remember where the spirit was the strongest, those people didn't progress. And I thought like, and then some of the people that I did work with that ended up being baptized, like the lessons were okay. And I wonder like maybe there was a lesson years and years before that stuck with them. And for some reason it was tough for them to follow the spirit then, but they always knew they needed to. And then, you know, kind of repented and, and had the missionary discussions. And so it's cool to, to, to see that the fruits of your labors do pay off. Absolutely. Right. Oftentimes there was a family that we were teaching when I was in Torino. She wasn't there yet. Um, I knew this family knew it. They got it. They were going to join and everything. The mother was a little hesitant because she had been a nun and hadn't worked her way out of that or anything. And I remember we weren't going to get to go back to them. And I was really upset. And my companion went over, don't worry, it's probably not their time. Mm -hmm. And then we had found out later that that whole family had joined the church. And um, it was so important because the father, he was so into it. He would even call my companion and I angels that the angels were going to come teach him now. And it was wonderful. They were a wonderful family and we loved them so much. In fact, their last name was the word for war. And we thought so bad that they had that for their last name, but it didn't matter. Um, they were going to end up joining and they eventually did. And um, I just told my companion, I guess we laid some pretty good seats. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you too for, for serving. It's been fun to, to hear your experiences. And I, I hope that your children and grandchildren and family and friends and those that listen to this podcast can uh, definitely learn of your faith and, and of your experiences. Wrapping up, would you mind sharing your testimonies in, in Italian? Certo. Mi piacerebbe molto. It, it can be real brief. There, there's no time limit or anything. Mm. Voglio condividere la mia testimonianza del Vangelo di Gesù Cristo. Io so che la Chiesa di Gesù Cristo 
dei Santi degli ultimi giorni è proprio la chiesa di, del Signore e sono così grata per tutte le benedizioni che, che ho in mia vita um, ah, che benedizione l'espiazione di Gesù Cristo che possiamo pentirci che possiamo migliore, migliorare e progressare oh, che benedizione di un profeta vivente President Nelson che guida la Chiesa sotto la direzione del nostro Signore Gesù Cristo e so che la chiave vera in questa vita a felicità e tramite oh, nel obbedire i comandamenti e le nostre famiglie e tramite il nostro Signore Gesù Cristo e lascio queste cose nel nome di Gesù Cristo Amen, Amen. Robin, that was great I don't know that I can even come anywhere near that però so che Gesù Cristo è mio salvatore e lui e qui per tutti so che la chiesa e la verità e abbiamo l'opportunità di imparare i nostri e altri so che ti fare la missione e benedizione molto No, pare comparare alcuna o oh, amore per la nostra Padre Celeste e il Salvatore e per la Chiesa, il Profeta e tutte le cose abbiamo durante il nostro vive. Grazie per tutti in il nome di Gesù Cristo. Amen. 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 Thanks again for, for coming on and for those who are listening, this episode will they always are dropped on Sunday and uh, we will drop this on Sunday and we look forward to having you next week. Thank you.